The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I am delighted to have with us Bev Fields. Bev is a wonderful advocate for growing food well, for raising children in a healthy environment. I actually met Bev at a Beyond Pesticides meeting in Cleveland, Ohio, several years ago, where she told me her story about her own exposure to pesticides growing up, her experience with cancer, her advocacy in her community to reduce pesticide exposure, and most recently you may have seen Bev on national news. She's been on Fox News, NBC. She's been interviewed by the Associated Press. She's been on Yahoo News. She's been in the Washington Times and many more, all about her fight for her cancer care under the present-day health plans and her fight for the Affordable Care Act. So it's all connected, our food, our agriculture, and our health. Bev, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm pleased to be here. I'm pleased to be back with you. Absolutely. I remember your story so well, and I, I want you to tell it to our listeners. You were 35 years old when you were diagnosed with cancer, which is young, right? I mean, most young women don't find lumps right. in their breasts. Correct. But your background is significant, so tell me what it was like growing up for you. I was actually raised on a farm. I'm uh, the daughter of a farmer, and my dad actually, it was in the, the burgeoning age of, of pesticides, where pesticides were coming out and being touted to the farmers as the, the cure-all for a lot of their ailments that they had with crops and things. And I actually was, because we worked so closely with my father, I was introduced to pesticides at a young age as far as what their names were, what they did, and that sort of thing, because it was just us as a family on the farm. And in talking to you about the things that you were exposed to, some of these chemical names are jumping out at me. So there's seven dust, which is very prevalent in your you know, your hardware store, chloridane, acephate, paraquat, Roundup. How was your dad convinced to use all of these chemicals, do you think? I was raised in North Carolina, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture was very active in agriculture in our area. And a lot of times the ag agent would actually bring around these chemicals, newly introduced or had a background in helping with this bug or, retain, you know, keeping this bug away from crops or this other kind of pesticides for fungicides and, and that sort of thing. It was a... I think it was in the it was in the seventies and it was in the early eighties and it was a time where we didn't know about these chemicals and the reactions that they they could actually bring about to people. So it was very early on with the pesticide industry and not a lot of background checks on mm-hmm. what could happen. Mm-hmm. And so, as a child, do you remember what it was like, what it smelled like, how it affected you at the time? I, I do. I was really, I did not like the smell of pesticides. I, I never correlated in my mind 
that I had respiratory problems because of it. But I did have respiratory problems, and I was constantly on Dimetap and other kind of things to help clear up my sinuses and, and help me breathe. And it was never put together that it could be because of the pesticides. Mm-hmm. But I remember walking into areas where pesticides were used, and I would almost curl my nose up at, this, at the moment of it. And at the time, it wasn't viewed very well by my father and my parents. I don't think that they purposefully exposed me to these chemicals, but I would not want to be there, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And so instead of an understanding being made between the pesticides and me and my health, it was, okay, you don't want to work. Get to it. You, you need to get into it. So it actually was more of a forced um, labor type of situation than I really should have been in. Because when somebody has either, I would have frequent stomach aches, I would have frequent nausea, frequent vomiting, that sort of thing, and sinus problems, headaches. When a child has those type of symptoms, it really shouldn't be held against them rather than, you know, it should be looked into further. But doctors never really correlated that between that and the pesticides. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that your parents probably took you to a pediatrician. And what did the pediatrician say? He couldn't find a cause for any of it. Yeah. You were just a sickly kid. There were no studies done in the 70s. There were no studies regarding breathing problems or anything of the nature. And, and of course, I'm sure my parents, we were probably looking more for, the pediatrician was looking more for viral or bacterial and not cause-related illnesses Mm -hmm. such as, the pesticides, because we would work and have the pesticides on our hands and we would stop and eat lunch. And it never dawned on us that there was a problem. I can even remember one time when the agriculture agent told my father, and I was actually there at the time, that a chemical that he was using was safe to eat once it was dried. Wow. And this was chloridane that he was speaking about. Wow. Chloridane was banned in 1987. So as we know, it's actually an endocrine disruptor, and it had harmful potential. I mean, it had harmful reactions to people. Right. And you tell a story about how you weren't allowed to polish your nails as a child, but some of the seed treatments were pink in color, and you'd get... I loved... We had that... Yes, exactly. We had a couple acres that we planted in corn every year, and my father didn't have the equipment to plant the seeds, so we as kids would get out in spring and early summer, and we would help plant the corn, and it was pink. It had this pink coating on it, which I now know is a fungicide to keep it from rotting in the soil, and I loved the fact that my fingertips were pink. So I couldn't, my father did not allow us to use nail polish. So I actually would keep this pink on my fingernails so that I could look like I had polish. (laughs) Yeah. Which we know now is highly toxic. Mm -hmm. So this was your childhood, and your dad, from what you've told me, was a floriculturalist by trade. So he had chemicals that he used in the greenhouses, And then he also grew vegetables in the greenhouse in the winter, and that also was exposed to the spray, and that was a portion of your diet. Correct. Constantly being sprayed with something. One of the things that with, if you're a floriculturist, you understand that if a bee gets in and pollinates 
or if worms get hold of your crop, that is the end of your crop. It could it could happen overnight. You could you could be fine one day and the next day you can come in and every single floret that's on the flower be eaten to pieces. So it's a maintenance that people don't understand with growing flowers that you constantly they constantly use something to to abate the worms or bees or anything of that nature in a greenhouse setting because that's your life flow. But when you're in a greenhouse setting and you have tomatoes and beans and things planted in the bed next to it, there's, of course, there's studies of pesticide drift being in the Antarctic. So you can't keep these substances off of vegetables if you're using it close to it. There's always going to be drift. There's always going to be some kind of of airflow that carries these chemicals once they're in the air to areas where they shouldn't actually be. Mm -hmm. Yes, that whole way of thinking ecologically and understanding that you might spray something in one place, but it's going to get out and reach others eventually. So, yeah, this is a, a really important way, I think, to think about the environment. The other thing I wanted to mention was that years ago, before these chemicals came out, certainly we had a way to control for these pests. And we know that there are organic flowers available where these chemicals aren't used. So there must be some secret ways to work with nature where you could have a successful floriculture business and not use the harmful chemicals. Did your dad ever go in that direction? I don't think that he ever did. He continued raising flowers on into my adulthood and it was a process for him. If you notice botrytis, you would spray with this chemical. If you notice a bit of downy mildew, you would use this. If you notice that you had one or two cabbage loopers or inchworms, you would use this type of chemical. So it never really, I don't think it ever dawned on him to change the way he did things because he was so set in the way that, and so sold on the chemicals that he used, that that's just the process that he continued on with, so so, did, which is sad because, like you say, there are so many different ways that you can control pests, mm-hmm. that you can control that. I can remember when he first opened the greenhouse, and I was in the second grade, and the way to get rid of cabbage loopers or, or the inchworm was going and picking them off by hand, mm-hmm. and that's very labor-intensive, but at the same time, it's much better for the environment to do it that way than it would be to just go swath, swath it with a, with a chemical, you know, and then leave those chemicals in the environment because those chemicals stayed there. They stayed on the plants and they, in a the greenhouse, they never have the ability to be washed off. They're constantly there. So mm-hmm. a lot of people who are buying flowers don't understand the amount of chemicals that they're getting when they do buy those flowers if they're not grown organically because the rain doesn't have the ability to come and wash these chemicals away. Yeah. So did anybody else in your family have symptoms of illness that you remember? Uh, They did. I actually have a sister who I think we can attribute her ADHD to these chemicals, her inability to, to concentrate, her inability to be attentive in school. And my brother has has had issues with Crohn's disease, and they're saying that a lot of these chemicals have things to do with your flora within your gut. And so when you destroy those kind of good bacteria in your digestive system, it leaves you open to a lot of different things that could happen to your entire immune system. Mm-hmm. So you grow up in this environment, you go, you get married, you go off, and 
Tell me what happens next in your life. Well, it's we finally have children, and uh, it's it's you know just a blessing to have kids and and to have them in your life. And then when my son was three, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was very this this happy state where I was married and had a family and had children was very short lived. Mm-hmm. Um, when they diagnosed me with the breast cancer, they said the cancer had been there for at least ten years. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 shocking. It's a shocking revelation to start your life and think, okay, we have kids, we have college, we have all these other things to to look forward to in our lives, and then be told that you have a disease that's going to take the rest of your life fighting because there is no known cure for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Once you're diagnosed, it's a um, it's a lifelong process of being of of taking care of that disease, and that's something that's why I'm such a big advocate for having health care and having affordable access to health care because so many people are being affected by it. We have so many endocrine endocrine disruptors in our environment that are causing these diseases and causing these issues with so many people that we almost can't afford to not take care of it. I think there's a the omnivore dilemma has a has a good point and it's a book that is put out by Michael Pollan that says that we don't understand the complexity of the subsidies and things that are going to the pesticide companies to the corn to the in, to these industries and yet we're not weighing the health effects that are coming from the type of environment that we've created. Listeners, I just want to remind everyone that we are speaking with Ms. Bev Fields. She is a woman, an activist, a woman who has a background in actually public relations and communications with a minor in marketing. So she's well-educated, but she also grew up around pesticides. We met at a Beyond Pesticides meeting, and her story was so compelling that I wanted to have her on. You may have seen Ms. Veals on national media. She's been on Fox News, NBC, Washington Times, Yahoo, Associated Press, CBS, all about her story about developing cancer and then what comes next. So you develop cancer, you've got a young family, you've certainly got an employable degree. Do you have health insurance? At that particular time, I did have health insurance. And that's why it's such a shock to see as I, as I progress through the years, when I was finally a 10-year survivor, the health insurance costs got to the point where it was more, much more than our mortgage. And, you know, when you're trying to raise children and save for college, instead of putting toward a college fund, we were spending every penny we had on medical. And then I became aware as I started reading and becoming more and more aware about chemicals and the causes of things that can be caused by chemicals, especially when you're in puberty, the exposure of chemicals to those younger years and what it can actually do later down, you know, 20 years down the road, I was living that. And I all of a sudden felt like I was collateral damage. And it got to a point where no one wanted to insure me. And the way that they made it so that they didn't have to insure me is they made it unaffordable. And once you're diagnosed with cancer, once you're diagnosed with diabetes or any kind of life-threatening disease, it takes long-term care. But the way our market is set up right now is that as your care progresses, the expense progresses. And if you go back and you look at diabetes, you look at cancer, you look at all these ADHD, autism, 
and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all these, they're getting linked slowly but surely to all the the chemicals and some of the things, our way of life that we have in our, you know, our standard of living that we've produced here. And more and more countries, the concerning factor is that more and more countries are adapting a theory of prove it's safe before it's used, whereas in the United States, we're still going by prove it's not safe. Mm-hmm. And so we have we have this this growing group of people who are collateral damage in our country to these big ag, to big ag, to big farm, to big com- corporations. And these corporations are getting taxpayer subsidies to develop their their chemicals, to develop their their drugs. One of the things that struck me the most that we need to be vocal about this was uh, Tyrone Hayes. Mm-hmm. Tyrone Hayes worked for Syngenta, and he was asked to do a study. He was asked to investigate uh, atrazine, and I actually met him, and I think you did too, uh, at one of the Beyond Pesticides, the, the national convention that they had, mm-hmm. where he was just, where he discovered that atrazine was actually a, an endocrine disruptor, and it was an aromatase enabler. And as a cancer patient, I sat up and said, wait a minute, I'm taking a chemical, a pill that is produced by the parent companies that manufacture atrazine that is an aromatase inhibitor. Mm. So a lot of these companies have shared science. They, they market the science, the crop science in their pharmaceutical sciences as shared science. They have chemicals in the in the environment that do one thing, and then they have pharmaceutical companies on the other side that erase the effects of what they're doing on the ag end of it. So that in itself should make every American very upset that this is going on in our society, that this is being allowed, and it's being subsidized by our federal government. If we want to really reduce our tax rates, that's something that we need to look at, is how many subsidies are going to, to pharmaceutical companies and to big agriculture. Well, it's, a, it's a quest that I've taken on, not only to say that we need affordable health care, since what we're doing to our environment and to the people that we have around us, our loved ones, but also for the fact that we're allowing our tax dollars to go to these companies, and they're not sustainable. And it's not it's proving not to be sustainable in our in our growing world. Mm-hmm. Bev, I wanted to ask you during the course of your cancer diagnosis and treatment, did any of your physicians at any point suggest that maybe it was your pesticide exposure that led to your cancers? Because often, you know, the doctor will sit down with you and ask you for your history, your patient history, mm-hmm. and. Did anyone ever say, you know, this looks really suspicious? They did not. None of my physicians came straight out to say that. I think there's, because of research dollars coming from pharmaceutical companies, coming from different corporations, they have to be careful with what they say. They didn't come straight out to say it, but they did say that that certainly could be a factor, Mm -hmm. but it's not a factor that they can, can control. Right. So it that was a very it was very disappointing that they didn't come out more to the side because I have read that there are 271 chemicals that the American Medical Society wants to have investigated for being carcinogens and only 117 of those have actually started into some routine of testing. Mm-hmm. 
and that's 49 percent. So there's there's 271 chemicals that physicians across the United States are concerned about, but only 49% have started any kind of testing. And as you and I both know, most of the testing that goes on with chemicals, with pesticides, or anything that's used on our food is done specifically, normally, by the company that's manufacturing it. And that goes into the MSDS information, the Material Safety Data Sheet. That's, uh, I think someone at uh, a meeting that I attended said that's like having the fox guard the hen house. Exactly. Uh, those, were, those were the terms that he used. So I don't think our medical community, because they're wanting to have research dollars to go to their projects, are actually willing yet to actually come out and boldly say, yes, your cancer was caused by pesticides. It's so evident, though, in some of the literature. So, for example, you and I have both spoken about the President's Cancer Panel report, for example. The 2008-2009 report specifically looked at reducing environmental cancer risk and what we can do now. And they don't make any bones about it. It's avoid pesticides, avoid using them, avoid eating foods that have been sprayed with pesticides. So the link between pesticides and cancer is there, it's just how we're informed about it or how we're taught about the effects. And I think that one of the wonderful things that you're doing in speaking out is helping more people understand that we need to pay attention to those connections. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope so. One of the things that I've realized is that the 30-second commercial that you see on television for lawn care pesticides or for uh, insecticides to use within your home do not clearly state the potential dangers that they have. They show the easy use of it. They show people wearing typical clothing using the chemical. When if you read the back of the chemical, it says to clearly use gloves, use safety goggles, use this, use that. And then they show kids running through the house shortly after the chemical's been used, or what you assume is shortly after the chemical's been used. A lot of chemicals, a lot of lung care People services will put the little yellow flags out, and that's supposed to stay there for 24 hours, and that chemical is supposed to be allowed to dry, but you have kids playing in that lawn before the chemical has had potential, I mean, the ample time to dry and, and to be safe. So, you know, we as consumers are not reading the labels of these chemicals that we're using, and we're not being made, we're not educating ourselves as to what the potential dangers could possibly be. Uh, we're not looking at material safety data sheets to see what the company themselves have discovered about their own chemicals. Some are listed as carcinogens. Pyrethroids are being sold like they're absolutely no harm in the environment whatsoever, where we're clearly finding that the a lot of times the, the agent that's in these pyrethroids are endocrine disruptors and actually you know amplify them in our environment. We're just not a society that cares to educate ourselves about certain products. Mm -hmm. And I, as a consumer, find that disheartening, especially as a mother. I would see lawns sprayed, and then within three or four hours, kids playing in the lawns, and the parents letting the kids play in the lawn. Or they'll use a fertilizer that has a herbicide in it to keep, plants from, you know, unwanted plants, dandelions or anything of that nature coming, sprouting up in their lawn. And as soon as they put it down, they have kids running behind them with the spreader. 
they don't read the material on the back of the of the bag that says clearly to leave children out of the area until that has been administered and it has been watered in. So we've let the 30-second commercial rule our lives and clearly lead us in, into a direction that parents need to be made more aware of. Well, I think that there's a general understanding among consumers that if a product is sold, that it must be mm-hmm. safe. And worse, in in terms of testing these chemicals, the chemists that I speak to and the people in the regulatory divisions tell me that if they are tested, they're tested singly rather than how might they work in combination with another pesticide that might also be present, adding yet more layers of risk. Well, I want to make sure that we continue on with your story, and that is that you were later diagnosed with additional forms of cancer, and you actually lost your home because of the cost of health care. And the reason why you had been on national news was actually to support the Affordable Care Act. Right. It got to the point where we were paying so much in insurance costs and medical costs that it just it was a wave. It was this huge wave. It was our hurricane. It was our tornado. It was our fire, whatever you want to call it. But there's nothing to help people who find themselves in this situation. We couldn't zig or zag in the in the right direction, and there was there was no help. There was no financial aid help. There was no help to tell us what we needed to do before we got to a certain point. And then we got to this point, we saw that there was clearly no solution for us other than to leave our house, to lose it, and to file for bankruptcy. And we certainly, you don't, you certainly don't start on your journey as a young married couple wanting to be viable contributors to society to ever have to go through this. It's, it's hard. It was very painfully hard on my husband. It's, it's demeaning. When you tell someone that you had to file bankruptcy or you lost your house, instead of being compassionate towards you, people say, well, what did you do wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I tried to pay for my health care. I tried to pay for my, my doctor bills. And it's overwhelming. And it's sad, the state of that we are here in the United States, that that could actually happen. And it still happens. And it's going to continue to happen until we make it affordable for people to take care of themselves especially when they're, they have a pre-existing condition. Yes, I was diagnosed earlier this year. Well, actually, in 2004, I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer and was told I had around 21 months. And my husband and I forgot to start counting months. <laughs> we, started, we, we just didn't count. But the care that it took, the radiation and the therapy and everything that it took to get through that basically ate us alive. And we had to recover from that. And during the recovery process, I didn't have insurance. And so I was able to get care through the Affordable Care Act, through the pre-existing condition plan that the the ACA set up. I was finally able to get insurance to them that was affordable uh, because they wanted $2,200 a month to insure me. And, you know, when you have children and you need to pay for a roof over your head, that's a lot of money. Bev, I'm going to have to end our discussion because our 30 minutes is up. Okay. 
I want to remind our listeners that they have been listening to Food Sleuth Radio. My guest is Bev Veals, who has had a childhood exposure to pesticides, has had to deal with cancer, the lack of affordable health care, and her fight for the Affordable Health Care Act. We will provide a link to one of her interviews on the multiple national television outlets that covered her story. We'll also put a link to the President's Cancer Panel Report about reducing environmental cancer risk, what we need to do now. Food Sooth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Bev, thank you for being my guest, and listeners, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for allowing me to tell even a portion of, of what's going on. 